You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 736 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Thursday evening. And join me for the first time uh, in a little bit of time, A uh, now a frequent guest, I would imagine we could describe him as on this podcast, Ben Ladner of Sports Illustrated is here. Hello, Ben. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining me, my friend. And uh, this is kind of, kind of being an extended project for us, and I uh, first want to thank Ben for agreeing to do it with me. But we're basically going to do a five-part series. They're not going to be back-to-back necessarily because we have nothing but time at this moment, I have to say. But um, you might remember if you're a long-time listener in the past, I did this with Jeff Siegel last year after the season was over. Basically just breaking down players um, and, you know, sort of in positional tiers in some respects, but just getting through the whole roster and talking about every guy and kind of how they performed or and or how they might factor in for the future. So the first segment, as you probably know by listening, uh, I guess by clicking on this podcast to download it, is uh, about the... Big men, and I decided to split this up into in two because there's too many bigs to do a, a brisk podcast on this. So we're going to cover three of them on this show. It's going to be Scalabissier, who I know has not played, Dwayne Dedman, and then Clint Capella, who I know has not played, but he's going to be a, a big factor moving forward. So this will be kind of an odd one, but uh, there'll be five of these in the next however long, and uh, that's the setup. Ben, are you excited to talk about big men today? I'm ready to go. I've got big shoes to fill uh, with, with Jeff. Who is stepping Jeff? out and <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Like you said, it's it's funny. You talked about how these guys performed this year, and two of them literally did not perform for the Hawks this year. So it'll be <laughs> yeah. interesting to kind of see. We'll see how much we actually have to dive into. With uh, I imagine there'll be more to talk about with Capella than with Scal, but yes. both of those guys. It's a very limited sample that we're working with here, for sure. And uh, looking ahead a little bit. There are 16 guys we're going to talk about on these five on these five shows. We're, we're going to do everybody, and that includes Charlie Brown. Um, but I, I try to split them up into uh, at least have one like sort of key guy on every podcast. That makes it a little bit more listenable for people. And uh, Capella is going to be that guy on this podcast. But we'll start with Scal. Get him out of the Why way. Why you got to single out Charlie Brown like that, man? Well, he's a two way. He's a, he's the only guy on the team <laughs> that has a different distinction right now. That's true. That's true. Uh, Charlie will be on a podcast, and we'll spend probably little little time on Charlie. And by the way. Um, as a, as a look ahead, the same podcast is going to have Vince Carter and Charlie Brown because that will be the podcast that we, that we have four guys on, and uh, Vince is retiring. So there you go. That's the end of the Vince Carter segment. No, I'm kidding. Um, all right, let's get into Scal first. Uh, get that out of the way. We'll save Capella for the end. Um, obviously, he has not played for the Hawks, as we both alluded to. He's uh, he's not played at all since December 28th. So still um, a pretty interesting guy, in my opinion, because you know. Fans know him, number one. He was a former number one overall high school prospect, like a big-time prospect with Kentucky. And then was still a first-rounder. He actually slipped quite a, quite a bit, actually, in that draft, all the way down to the end of the first round. But still someone who I think has some intrigue. You know, people in the Peace Tree Hoops comments like to bring up Scal, and I think people are interested in what he might be able to do or not do um, if they if they start playing again this year or if they uh, elect to try to bring him back for next year. So with all that said, um, you know, I guess we could start with the fact that I'm not sure if he's going to be on the team uh, moving forward because the Hawks have to offer him a qualifying offer of about three and a half million, 
to make him restricted free agent. And that's probably more than they're going to offer him, I would imagine. So I think he'll be probably hitting the market unrestricted. That's my guess. If you disagree with me, you can tell me that. But um, before we got, before we dive into the player a little bit, what do you think is the expectation of whether he'll be around or not? Because, you know, Travis Swank said the right stuff when they traded for him. But at the same time, that deal was uh, almost certainly, at least mostly about um, money and doing a favor. Yeah, it is tough because they already have so many big guys on the roster already. And so do you really want to shell out that much money to, to Scal, who, you know, maybe maybe you like, maybe you don't. But, like, you know, he's got tools. He's, he's, he's shown flashes. But that's still a lot of money to pay a guy who, who basically he's only played. He's played less than 150 games in his entire career. And this is now, I guess this will be the end of his fourth season now. So it's, you know, it's kind of like Damian Jones in that sense where he feels like he's, you know, a second or third year guy. But he's been around for a little while and, and, you know, doesn't have that much experience under his belt because of injury and because of just not playing uh, in certain seasons. So, it, you know, it, he seems like one of those guys, especially because he hasn't played with the Hawks. I'm not sure his market is going to be that big. So I think the Hawks could probably afford to not offer him that qualifying offer, let him hit the unrestricted market and then, you know, give him two and a half million bucks, whatever the market is for him. And then if someone comes along and, and you know, take risk on him with three and a half, four million dollars, then, you know, unless Schlenk seemed to really like him, but we don't know how much of that was posturing just because Scal was sitting right next to him and because they, <laughs> you know, they made the, the trade for him. So, you know, if, if the Hawks really like him that much, maybe they give him like four tops, five million dollars. But the, even that seems a little exorbitant for a guy who just hasn't really proven much in his NBA career. And I guess by the same token, it, it you don't really see the team out there that's going to offer him that contract that would poach him away from the Hawks. So they seem to have the inside track just because they're his incumbent team. But once he hits that unrestricted free agency market, it's kind of, you know, obviously he has the the choice. It's going to be up to him. So um, I, I really, it feels like kind of a coin flip at this point uh, for whether he's going to be on the team. And frankly, I'm not really sure it matters that much. Yeah, I, I'm with you on all of that. I think, you know, if you got him back for cheap, he's still a guy that does have some talent that they like his ability to shoot it, at least in theory. He's been able to be a pretty decent mid-range jump shooter in terms of two-point shots and for his career. Very small sample size, but has been a decent enough three-point shooter. Um, again, the sample size is, is incredibly small on all of this stuff. By the way, um, as much as he's not played over four years, he's played almost double the minutes of Damian Jones in his career. That kind of tells you about Damian Jones and the fact that he didn't That's play. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know that till right now when I, when I looked it up. But yeah, Scal is about 2,600 minutes, and Damian's still about 1,400 minutes. So uh, pretty crazy. And still, the most games Scal's ever played in his career was 60 in 2018 where he, he was kind of a pseudo starter for the Kings. And after that, it's, you know, 22, 33 this year. It's just, he's really struggled to stay healthy. 33 is rookie year. I actually liked some of the defensive instincts I saw from him in Portland this season. You know, it was pretty sparing, you know, the amount he actually played. But when he was on the floor, I thought he did a decent job, especially like kind of in the air, in the, the period right after Zach Collins went down early in the year. Uh, I thought he provided decent minutes there and then obviously got injured. So he was, he was limited if, you know, not, fully available so um yeah it's 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 one of those guys where if they're if you're being paid to take him on in a trade of course you do it you know oh, you yeah. can take the gamble on the guy but uh once you have to actually start giving him a real contract and and deciding how much he's actually worth you know some of those some of those flashes some of those tools that seem really nice when he's on the you know whatever pick he was in the draft when he's on the rookie scale deal you know don't seem quite as alluring when it's you know a higher price to pay for those tools yeah, to your point about his defense in Portland, it's a very small sample. He only played, 
I'm looking at it now, what, five or six, seven minutes, so 33 games in Portland. But the Blazers were uh, considerably better defensively with him on the court than when they than, than off the court this year. Um, again, how much of that is him is probably debatable, and they were worse on offense with, uh, with him playing. But I do think that he showed some flashes, and I think, you know, again, this is a guy that has some talent that you wouldn't necessarily just cast away. There, there are certain guys that if it's a salary dump, they could have just cut him. That's always what I say about this. Like the Derek Walton trade is, one, is, is a good example of this. They did a very similar deal with Derek Walton and immediately cut him. Whereas with Scal, they kept him around. And I think that, that tells you at least a little bit they were intrigued by his talent. And, uh, you know, in terms of big men, I know they have Bruno. They have Dwayne Devin. They have, they have Capello. They, of course, have Collins. But you have to fill out a roster. And it might, it might seem to be duplicative. But when you have... Um, Guys like Collins who can play center, but you know you probably want to still carry you know five or six bigs, the guys that guys that can functionally play center. We saw this year. I mean, at one point we felt like they had a log jam at center, and then they suddenly had games where they're playing Vince Carter at center. So you have to kind of have some depth. Do I think that he's going to be a part of the rotation next year? No, I don't. But at the same time, you know he's someone who, who can play some four and some five. That's something that I want to point out too. Like, I think he's more of a five, but at least has the theory to be able to play to play down a little bit. And that versatility can be helpful as well. And especially with a guy like Capella, who is going to also be coming off a major injury and you don't know how healthy he's going to be. Maybe he has some, some injury concerns next year. So having that insurance behind him in the rotation, even a guy like, you know, DeAndre Hunter, who's probably going to play some small ball for next year was banged up this season. I'm not sure he's necessarily injury prone, but if he goes through a similar type of deal where you miss him for, you know, five, eight, 10 games over the course of a season and you need someone to fill 10 minutes at the four on a given night, keeping a guy like Scal around can be helpful there. Cause you know, we saw Bruno at the four a little bit this year, but he's not, that's not really a position you want to play him at in the NBA. If you can help it, uh, obviously Collins can play there a little bit too, but the other three guys in the big man rotation are kind of pure fives. And so it is nice to have that flexibility of a guy who, you know, if whether a, a, a wing or a big guy gets injured, you can kind of, you can make it work with him and he can fill more gaps than say someone like, Dwayne Dedman or Clint Capella, who may play together at certain points next season, but mostly are going to play kind of at the five, independent of one another, and don't really have a whole lot of positional flexibility beyond that. Yeah, I think they're both fives, but I do think that Scal is a better option at the four than Bruno would be. I agree that you wouldn't want to play either one of them there, ideally, but uh, just another something to think about. And you know, the Hawks don't have to do anything with Scal. If they don't want to keep him, they won't have to. And if they suddenly get in a bidding war, you just let him go. But if you can bring him back for a pretty cheap, you know, near minimum contract. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go ahead and, and bring him back. I think. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on Scal. You have any, any any final thoughts before we move on to the to the other guys? Uh, not particularly. I mean, maybe we'll see about the three point shot. That's kind of the, yeah. the big thing. If they feel like he can shoot it, that's that could make or break. You know, whether he stays around or not. If he isn't shooting it in training camp and over the off season, or I guess they wouldn't even get that far with him. But you know, from what they've seen in practice, I guess so far, if they feel like he's not going to be that guy, then you know, maybe that's what kind of pushes him out the door. And again, it just, how much do you like those, those tools and those flashes? Because we just haven't seen it with him consistently. And so it's really just a matter of what you make of, you know, the 2,600 minutes he's played over the course of his four years. Yep. That's well said. Uh, all right. Before we get to the other guys, Deadman and Capella, I want to uh, talk to you about the good folks at Postmates. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a full meal or a 12 pack, sometimes you just need to get what you need delivered very fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're still eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I, think I can think of right to my door. 
But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers or sushi. They make life easier with grocery delivery and whatever else that you want delivered to your door as well. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. And that feels particularly important to mention right about now with the way things are going around us. So no more trips to the store. No more late night food, food runs. Just rely on Postmates. Download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get virtually anything you need delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit on your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use, use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it using, pro, using promo code LOCKEDONNBA. All right, Ben, I'm glad you suffered through that with me because I am the greatest ad reader of all time. But we can uh, move on to Dwayne Devin if you are so inclined. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good read. I appreciate that. And honestly, this is this is genuine. Postmates is extremely helpful at this moment in time. So uh, check out Postmates. Okay, Dwayne Dedman is someone who is interesting, and we know he'll be on the team, barring a tray, which is different than Scal. Um, set, the, set the stage a little bit here. Obviously, he was quite good for two seasons with the Hawks. Went to Sacramento and was very bad. Uh, came back to Atlanta and was still generally not that great. He was better than the, what the Hawks had before that, which is a kind of a low bar to clear, but he did not play all that well. And more importantly, he did not shoot all that well. That's the biggest thing that we'll talk about here. But he's guaranteed $13.3 million for, for next season. $1 million, uh, the year after that, which we'll talk about at a later date. But um, yeah, Deadman is a helpful player. He's overpaid for what he is at this point in time. But the Hawks knew that when they traded for him. They, they love his locker room presence and all that stuff. But um, in terms of the player... What did you see from Dwayne since he got back to Atlanta? And uh, I guess I think we could probably all agree that the shooting is the biggest thing that we just don't know at this point because he shot the ball really well for two years and then just kind of forgot how to shoot, apparently. So uh, where are we at with Dwayne Debbin? Yeah, you know, he had that that right elbow soreness that he, he only just came back from before the season got suspended. I wonder how much that played in. I never got the chance to ask him, um, but I wonder how much that played into the, the poor shooting because obviously if your shooting elbow is is sore that that could make it difficult i don't think that is the entire reason why he dipped so much um and, and shot 22 percent from three as a hawk but if that contributed to it and he levels out around you know i'm not sure he's going to be the 38 percent three-point shooter he was in 2019 but if he's 35 percent like he was in 2018 i think that's that's serviceable and that, i think the hawks would take that uh, because that's that allows him to fill the role that they need him to play which is spacing the floor around John Collins and potentially Clint Capello. We, we don't know about that yet. Um, but, you know, if he if he can shoot the ball, he's one of the best backup centers in the league. To, you know, the, the most valuable combination you can have, is uh, unless you're like a, a superstar all-NBA level center, from that position is to be able to protect the rim and space the floor. And, and in theory, he can do both of those things. He did one of them as a Hawk this year, which was protect the rim and play defense. He was, he was solid on that end of the floor you know, for a team that did not have many solid players on defense, but the other end, he, he just wasn't good on offense. And, and that could be a problem, you know, if he's playing 20, 24 minutes a game next season, or, you know, how, how I don't know how the minutes are going to shake out necessarily, but if he's a big part of your rotation and he's a liability on offense, then, you know, that, that could be an issue. So I don't know. I, it, like you said, it all depends on the shooting and, and uh, I, I can't really prognosticate whether that's going to come around or not. We kind of just have to wait and see. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not always that simple, but it kind of is in this instance. We, we talk about the stuff that we do know about Deadman. You know, it's a pretty small sample size. It's 15 games after he got to Atlanta, but the Hawks were markedly better with him on the court than, than they were with him off the court in his limited sample size. Again, part of that is the guy who's, guys playing behind him, but the Hawks were actually plus two net rating with him on the court. And I know it's a really small sample size, but um, the team just felt more cohesive. He's just a professional quality rotation quality center and the Hawks just didn't have that for as much other than Alex Lynn everybody else in the rotation at center um this season or however you want to say it the 2019-20 season was not particularly up to that standard so having Deadman around is already sort of a jolt even when he wasn't making shots he's always fouled too much defensively but in general like he's been an above average guy and blocking steal rates for a long time the teams that he plays on usually have good defensive rebound rates as well, which he's not always like the most incredible individual rebounder, but he boxes out, he protects the rim. He does what you want to do, um, but his ceiling is incredibly low if he's not going to make threes. Um, Because offensively, he's not this like dynamic role man. He's he's okay in certain things, but um, what really popped when he became a starting caliber center in Atlanta was because he was shooting in the mid to high 30s. If he just shot, like if you you told me if you were the Hawks, you could sign him up for like 33, 34%. Which is worse than he was in the two previous seasons. If you just told me that's definitely what it is now, I think you probably just take it because if he's just a threat to shoot threes, that's pretty helpful. But if he's going to shoot twenty two percent like he was this year, he's no longer a threat. He won't be guarded, and that hurts your offense. So it comes and goes. I, I do think thirty eight percent from uh, his final season in Atlanta um, originally is a little bit higher than you would expect it to be. But if you lock him in the previous season, like you said, like somewhere in the you know low to mid thirties, that would be fine. And as a backup center, like he's making too much money, but that money is now spent. And, you know, we talked about this at the time, but the Jabari Parker trade, they didn't want him, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they knew they were overpaying for him in terms of salary, but as a just strictly on the court, like you said, if he's your backup center, you're in great shape. Even if he doesn't, even honestly, even if he doesn't shoot, if he's just a pure, like, you know, 12 minute a game backup center, he's still fine in that role. He's not incredible. He doesn't make shots, but if he makes any shots at all, you, you suddenly have a legitimately above average backup center, like trending toward one of the better ones in the league. Because I firmly believe, you know, in his previous tour of duty, he was a starting caliber center, probably a low end starter, but still like a top 25 center in the league over a, over a two year period. Now it's below that you would imagine, but you know, just having that guy behind Capella because Capella's had some injury stuff. And, you know, we talked about this before as well, I'm sure, but Deadman is a perfect fit with Collins. So if they start to stagger, Capella and Collins, as we can get into a little bit later with, with the Capella side, partnering Deadman and Collins has always made a ton of sense, and the Hawks know that, I think. So just the fact that you can kind of have Collins be the role man, have Deadman space the floor, and then defensively Deadman can, pro- can protect the rim. Collins is a more uh, a more, a more a backside, weak side rim protector. That's always what's worked, I think, in theory between those guys. So he just checks a lot of boxes, even if we all kind of understand that $13.5 million or so is too much for a backup center. I agree with that. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, if, if you're a center and you can protect the rim and space the floor, even if you can't do anything else, you have a ton of value in the modern NBA because a guy like Deadman, he allows you to play Collins in his most comfortable role. He allows you, if you want to play Capella with him, to do that. If you want to play another shooter and keep him at center where he's, you know, you, you can play five out with him and you can just, you know, you don't need a role, man. You don't need him to open up the floor for anyone else except for Trey Young to get to the rim so you really can put him in a lot of different situations and he can he can 
not necessarily thrive, but kind of be the piece that that unlocks your ability to do that. And that in itself is is pretty important. You mentioned the fouling. That's kind of his biggest defensive shortcoming. But I actually checked the numbers on cleaning the glass, and the Hawks actually have a lower foul rate with Deadman on the floor than with him off. We're not sure how that's possible. It's got, it's got, to, it's got to be Damian Jones related, right? Or Bruno related? Oh, it has to, I, those, guys, know, those guys foul so that, much as well. Yeah, I mean... I yeah. can't imagine. It's not. It's not. I can't imagine just Dead because Deadman's always had foul issues. Even when he was playing well, he had foul issues. He's. I think I've made a note every single game that he's played as a hawk in my game notes that he's fouling too much in this game. Yeah, there were a bunch um, of so first that, halves that in that small sample where he had, he had three fouls yeah. in a hurry and it was uh, rough. Yeah. Yeah, but other than that, you know, he protects the rim really well. Like opponents, I think, on cleaning the glass, they shoot five percent fewer shots at the rim, way more mid range shots. Um, so, you know, he's, he's out there taking away the most profitable shots in the game. He's, he's affecting those shots. Like you mentioned, the blocks and the steals, he's pretty active, even if that does lead to some extraneous fouling at times. Um, and I, I think he, he allows you to play just a competent level of defense. And I think his communication, his ability to be a help defender, it really helps you out when you have guys like Trey Young, like DeAndre Hunter at times, like Kevin Herter at times getting beat on the perimeter to have that guy in on the back line to clean things up and you figure those other guys will take a step forward. At least the latter two would take a step forward as perimeter defenders next season. I think he, he ties your defense together nicely, even if he's not like the game changing Rudy Gobert type of defender. And, and frankly, Capella may even be a you know better all around defender at this point as well. But just, you know, if he's your backup, like you said, the standard to which you're holding him gets a little bit lower and then he's able to clear that bar much more easily. And he looks a lot better in that particular role. So I think, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game is, is kind of the right amount you want for him. Capella's, I don't think, ever going to be a, a super high-minute guy. You do want to save some minutes to play Collins at the five if you want that yep. lineup available. So there's a way to work this out where you, you kind of keep all three guys happy. You keep them all on the floor. You kind of get the different benefits that comes with each guy. Uh, but you're also staggering and, and giving yourself enough flexibility in the rotation that you can, that you can play a lot of different looks. And I think Deadman helps you unlock a lot of those. Yeah, I do think that, you know, if everybody's healthy and playing in the same game, Deadman becomes a 10-minute-a-game player, maybe. And that's that's fine. I mean, again, it's you can't compare it to, I mean, you have to at some point compare it to the, to the salary. But if you take that away, like, you know, if Capella is a 30-minute-a-game player and Collins is playing 35 minutes, but some of those at center, there's only so many minutes to go, only so many minutes to go, to go around at center. And I think Deadman's going to fill the gaps there. And if you get an injury to Capella or if you want to give him back-to-back off you now have a guy who can go out there and credibly play, you know, 28 minutes for you and not kill you at all. So he, he checks a lot of boxes, and uh, I think I alluded, alluded to it a second ago, but they love him in the locker room. They always have. He's a leader. I know that that's sort of unquantifiable, and it's kind of tough to talk about, but I think uh, just reading between the lines and talking to people and listening to even quotes that I didn't even hear and reading stuff, I think that's very evident um, And why they traded for him back was they wanted to have that voice in the locker room Everybody loves Dwayne Dedman. He's brash, but he's also just a quality guy who like he likes to even on the court as well. That also manifests because like he'll call things out and he'll really like kind of quarterback your defense. And he's not going to be an elite defender, but he's a good defender. He, he knows he knows where to be. He's a vet, and he sort of gets it, which not every guy does. And this is a team that has had so many young players that just having like that kind of vet on the court with you and in the locker room is uh, a thing that actually matters. I agree. I, th- I think that was probably you know, 30 to 40% of the reason they got him is they just wanted to, you know, to have that, that veteran, the voice, the presence, you know, all the stuff that, like you said, is unquantifiable and can sometimes be overrated. 
I think for a team like the Hawks, who basically had none of that before he came, that can make and a they real said difference. that a lot. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, not, we're, we're not just saying that. This is stuff that was publicly available and, and quoted, like guys repeatedly. I know you heard this, and so did I, in interviews talking about how they just had no voices in the locker room. I know Travis Schlenk uh, told Chris Kirshner, I believe it was, um, before the trade that that was something they were worried about with this team. Is that they just kind of had a, kind of had this quiet locker room, and it's not really a shot at anybody necessarily. It's like if you think about it, go down the list. Most of the most of the young young guys, other than maybe Collins, are pretty quiet people just in general. You know, DeAndre Hunter is exceptionally quiet. Cam Reddish was a rookie. You're talking about Kevin Hurst, not this like super vocal guy. Trey Young is certainly a leader on the team, but isn't like this you know vocal quarterback kind of defensive captain, obviously. So you're talking about all these young guys thrust into this role without. I mean, I know they have Vince Carter, but Vince Carter can only do so much, and he wasn't on the court all that much. So you kind of have. And by the way, Vince is not this like rah rah guy either. He's more of this like old old wisdom kind of guy, whereas Deadman is just going to, you can even tell we're just stepping in the locker room at any point, even when the media's in there, he is uh, making noise and he's just kind of that voice that they want. So it's not, we're not, we're not making this up. This is something I, I don't, I don't like to talk about all that much because like, like, like we, 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 we both alluded to this, it's just, it's unquantifiable, but it matters because of the fact that they all think it matters. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, it, it feels kind of cheesy sometimes to talk about stuff like it that. It feels like you're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, I, I think you, you said it well, it is impressive. They, they turned a position that was like a clear, one of the worst center rotations in the league, like a, a clear position of weakness into a position. If everyone's healthy for next season, that'll be a position of, of pretty good strength for the Hawks. And, and to do that, you know, just at, in one trade de- deadline, basically, um, I think is, is commendable. And I think, I think it's also somewhat of an overcorrection, like you mentioned from Schlenk, where he he kind of realized he made some miscalculations in the offseason. He wanted to kind of <laughs> rectify those, and and he did so by literally getting the guy that he let go and just bringing him back. So uh, I think certainly if you're comparing the Hawks' center rotation going into the 2021 season to their center rotation going into the 2020 season, um, you have to feel encouraged, at least relative to you know where this season started out with the guys that were logging minutes for them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you went, I would say, I think it's probably even, you know, common sense consensus that, I, I mean, I, I'm a big Alex Len defender. I thought he was actually pretty good at times. But um, overall, the Hawks center rotation, if you don't include Collins in there, was the, probably the worst in the league. And, then, I mean, that, and, that's, and that's coming from me as someone who was very high in Alex Len compared to the consensus. When, yeah. when you're playing Bruno and Damian Jones that much, like you just can't, uh, you can't avoid necessarily. Uh, it's not anybody's fault. And plus, Len got hurt too. That made it even worse. Because when when Len was playing, like at least you felt fine with him on the court. Uh, but yeah, going from that to now, you have, as we talked about, a legitimately above average backup in Deadman. And I think even if you were skeptical of Click Capella as we transitioned to him, he's definitely an above average starter. He might not be a star. People, I mean, there's some there's some contrasting opinions on just how good he is. But even someone who was relatively low on Capella would probably tell you he's a top 15 setter in the league, right? Roughly, yeah, somewhere around there. So, I mean, going from what they had to above-average starter and above-average backup, and that's conservative probably on both, That's it's a, it's a pretty sizable uh, change. And, and by the way, it hasn't manifested itself yet. So, like, they made these moves at the deadline. Capella never played. Deadman played but only only I think he what he played 10 games something like that it was a, a very small amount of time because he got banged up too so it wasn't like they had much time to really have that sink in on the floor but in theory and on paper 
that's a, just a massive talent upgrade uh, at the at the position. It doesn't solve every issue, but ha- I know as many times as I've said this on the podcast, as many times as you wrote it this season, um, just center was such a huge problem for them, um, wins and losses wise, performance wise. That uh, that that improvement just matters so much. Yeah, and again, you're it's just that's a position that and point guard, kind of the bookends of your lineup. You just want to have. 48 minutes of, of capable, competent play. I think that's why the Jeff Teague move was a good one as well, even though he's another guy that's overpaid and may <laughs> yes. not be on the team next season. But just having a, a capable veteran, you know, quality point guard to run the show and make sure your offense kind of stays on the rails while Trey Young's off the floor is really important. And then, and you know, kind of by the same token, having just two, three guys, however many it is, filling 48 minutes at center that you can feel okay about and you feel like you're not just going to get filleted at the rim and, and give up layups and not be able to contest anything and never be able to get a rebound and, and all the problems that the Hawks had to just feel like, okay, we can put those to rest at least relatively, you know, shore up the, the, the defensive glass, protect the rim a little bit better and just trust whoever we have on the back line to communicate, to call out the screen, to, you know, to, to give help in the right places at the right time and not leave your teammate out to dry, you know, just the stuff that, that young guys, haven't grasped yet it's, it's like you've been saying it's not anyone's fault necessarily you don't expect bruno fernando to step in and immediately know exactly what he's doing uh, on defense on an nba floor it's just you know those are kind of the lumps that you take when you're a young team and you have the the youth and the inexperience and and the lack of talent at that position that they had so it's, it's just it's it's almost just by by re, you know putting in replacement level guys and i think capella is better than replacement level but it's just the jump, the, the Hawks were already so far below replacement level. The jump from who they had to who they have now is is just, it might be the biggest, you know, position group jump of any team in the NBA going into next season. Yeah, for sure. It just overall, as a roster construct, I think, um, you know, people are just, um, I don't know if it's, I'm not sure how to describe this. People are almost not capable of realizing how big of a thing it is to have a spot or two on your roster that are just ghastly. Like having replacement level uh, versus like league average is such a huge gap. And I think the Hawks had multiple spots in the rotation at times this year where you had a guy in there that wasn't a rotation caliber player. And just having a full-time rotation of guys who should be in the rotation um, is something that can't be overstated. And that's how you you get in some trouble when you're fielding guys who just shouldn't be playing um, in NBA minutes uh, in terms of like prominent NBA minutes. And that's not a shot at anybody in particular, but... You know, you mentioned Bruno as a rookie, you know, rookies are generally bad. And then, you know, even even early in the year, you know, Cam Rush would have fallen in this category. Obviously, he's a, he was a different guy later on. We'll talk about him on a later podcast. But Cam Rush for the first two months of the season was not an NBA player. Was not an I was going to say, the, the games after Collins got suspended, like kind of the first 10 to 15 games, I would argue that the majority of their rotation was not rotation caliber players. And which you can't, is a I mean, problem. right. You can't, I, there's only so much Trey Young can do to paper over that. And he was fantastic. But if you go into go into games, and yeah, that, that was particularly the darkest point of the season when they were going without Herter and Collins for that 10-11 game period, and it was Boy. just excruciating. The 4-23 stretch or whatever it was, that those were dark days. Yeah, those but were very even dark beyond days. that, like later in the year, they still had, you know, most of the time they were playing a backup center that wasn't really a rotation caliber player, or they had a, a fourth wing that wasn't one. It was just, you know, there was always this little, this little stuff that you uh, kind of overlook when you're looking at a full roster that's healthy and depth is uh, very important. And it started to look better later on in the season when they had that, but uh, still, even then they were, built, they were battling injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But that's why the full I, roster matters. 
Ben. Yeah, I remember a few games there when Len was injured and Collins was still suspended. Where you, I mean, Lloyd Pierce all but said, "Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, we just have no centers. Like, he it, he's looking for any answer he can." And like the the Philly games. My, know, the, say, the, my, my, my my go to example is is uh, Lloyd kind of laughing about having to put Vince on Joel Embiid. Yeah, and that and, happened. I mean, he knew. I mean, he he didn't he didn't, he didn't say we don't, we don't have the horses, but he basically did. I mean, it was exactly. Like, that. Yeah, he. I mean, he. You could tell that he he understood the the dire straits that the rotation was in. The, the Denver game is another good example where it's like, he, you know, he, he knows, you know that he knows that they have no one who can guard at that position, no one who can anchor the defense. And yet it's like, okay, you still have to start someone at center. And he's kind of just, you know, he, he almost, he all but threw his hands up and said, <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. And I was with him hundred percent on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Capella now before I let you get out of here. Capella obviously has not played since January January 29th, the Hawks gave a pretty uh, a pretty decent asset to get him in that first round pick from Brooklyn. Not an overwhelming one, but still a pretty good asset. And uh, Capella is a good player. I know we talked about and written about him, but we'll do it a little bit now in more of a comprehensive way. Um, short answer is that he's under contract for for multiple more seasons at a pretty good at a pretty good rate. Um, this is a guy who is a high end pick and roll threat, one of the best in the league at just like being a dive man and finishing around the rim. He's a great rebounder. He's a he's a good defender. I think that's kind of where people get a little bit um, into disagreement at times about Capella. It's just how good he is, how good he is on defense. But I think everyone agrees he's a pretty good defender at a minimum, and uh, not a shooter by any means. He's kind of the only guy on the roster that I think the Hawks are kind of famous now about trying to get almost everyone to shoot. I'm not sure that's going to happen with Capella, who, by the way, has never attempted a three in his NBA career, I don't think. Um, two. Oh, he's got two. Oh, sorry. No, he's over two. You're just right. Just checked. I would imagine they were both heaps. They, yeah, probably so. So this is someone who probably isn't going to do that. But, uh, you know, role guy, defender, rebounder, checks a lot of boxes for you and has played at an all-star level at times. Like, he's not been named an all-star, but I think, you know, when he's been at his best, you know, last season, he averaged, this is just raw point totals and stuff like that, but he averaged 17 points, 13 rebounds at one and a half blocks a game in 2018-19 and shot 65% from the floor. So, you know, those numbers probably overstated him a little bit because he was playing with James Harden and getting a lot of stuff fed to him, but this is a guy who is a very good basketball player. The Hawks know that when they traded for him. And uh, one of the, I don't want to say a positive thing, but uh, the the hiatus that the, the league is in right now Capella is just getting time to rest, and that's probably good um, overall for a guy who, you know, has not necessarily been injury prone in his career, but has this thing right now that is kind of lingering with his heel as like not a, I don't know, not an insignificant thing. Like it obviously mattered. It was probably part of probably part of the reason why Houston traded him when they did was to they, they were trying to they were kind of trying to go all in to win this year, and he couldn't really do that with the, with his physical condition. So. It's something to monitor for sure, but I've been uh, I've rambled just to say he's a he's a good player. He is, and especially when you compare him again to what the Hawks were dealing with last year. <laughs> yeah, uh, you it mentioned giving back. up the yeah you mentioned giving up the, the Brooklyn pick. I think you know for a lot of teams maybe you debate that you say okay can we get a better player with that pick can we can we fill a, a more pressing need? I think for for the Hawks the answer was no, just because they had so little of what Capella provides that they just needed to get a guy like that into the system, into the rotation. And, and the fact that he's under contract for the next three years is certainly a bonus too. He's only 25 years old. He'll next year will be his age 26 season. And, you know, they talk about him in, you know, as, as though he's one of this, you know, part of this young nucleus that they have, obviously he's a little older than guys like John Collins and Trey young and, and Kevin Herter, all of those guys, 
but he's he's of the age where he can fit into that timeline. I, you could argue he's not in his prime yet. I, I think a player like him, you know, he's leveled out over the last three or four years. So I think he's probably yeah. About I, where I, he's think, I think I think we we could probably assume he's not uh, suddenly going to jump another level. I mean, yeah. his age is what it is, but like that's not you know people always conflate this. And I've said this before, sort of a sort of as a sidebar, but you know, twenty five, twenty six is not young in the NBA. It's just yeah. kind of not, especially in this age where guys don't go to school for four years. Like Capella was in the league at what nineteen, twenty twenty. So yeah, nineteen. I, mean, I think is his age twenty season. He was you're you're no longer you're no longer young when you're going into your seventh NBA season. <laughs> just yeah. generally, yeah. And he's I guess you could expect him maybe to to kind of sustain this level of production yes. through his current contract. Uh, is kind of what I was getting at. And and after that, who knows? Maybe you keep him around. Maybe you don't. Maybe his athleticism is is important enough to his game that when that declines, he's not quite the same player at the end of this deal. But I think you can feel good about getting a couple good years out of Clint Capella at the very least, maybe even more than that. And they view him as that that kind of you know centerpiece type of guy to fit in with the rest of this this core. And and the thing that Lloyd Pierce keeps saying, which I I think I agree with, is that you know they don't as great as it would be to see Capella on the floor with the rest of this team, it's not. It's not like you need to know how he's going to play with Trey Young. You know what I mean? Like he's he's going to do basically what he did in Houston. Like you said, he's not going to shoot threes. He kind of is what he is. He's going to roll to the rim. He's going to protect the rim. He's going to grab rebounds, um, and he's he's going to you know just be as dominant as he can inside around the rim. And his game is not going to change much, no matter where he is, no matter who he's playing with. The quality of his looks could change depending on who's passing it to him. And he's fortunate to come you know, to go straight from James Harden to Trey Young. Um, but he's not really a guy that you need to figure out how he fits into the system because you kind of know what he is. You kind of know what he's going to provide. So from that sense, the Hawks, I think they can feel reasonably confident about what they're getting, even though they haven't necessarily seen it on the floor. Of course, it would be great to gather that data. Um, but I, I think internally, the sense that I've gotten is that they feel they feel like they kind of know what he's going to look like and what he's going to bring. It's just a matter of actually getting him healthy and getting him on the floor. Yeah, I agree. He's a very projectable player. You kind of know what he can do, what he can't do, and basically the only thing he can't do is shoot, honestly. Um, offensively, like he is a great partner with Trey Young. I know John Collins already is that, but you could certainly use another guy. And, you know, offense only, the Hawks were quite good on offense when they, when they had Damian Jones on the floor. And Damian Jones is obviously a very, very flawed defensive player, but he's a high-end role threat. So if you just factor in that kind of archetype alongside Trey Young and John Collins, I do think that that will help Trey. Uh, obviously, you know, John is already that, but they don't play every minute together. So if you stagger those guys a little bit, and I think I am a, an advocate of trying to purposefully stagger Collins and Capella, they can play together, especially with the way that Collins shoots the ball now. At, at, at this point, I actually trust that to continue because his shooting has just been so consistent now for a little while and, and, the, and the form looks good, all that stuff. But ultimately, you know, is that, a, is that a perfect fit? Probably not. But if you stagger those guys, separate them a little bit, and always have an elite rim runner on the floor at, at all times, that'd be a very, very popular thing for Trey Young and everybody else to try to run the offense. And then I think more importantly for me anyway is his defense. I mean, he's not Rudy Gobert, but this is a guy who is a plus defender at a crucial position. He's been on the floor um, at, at important moments. He knows what he knows what to do. He can call out defenses. This is someone who is just, again, a market upgrade from what you had before. And um, I think you we've talked about this ad nauseum in other places, I know. But 
with with this roster construction with Trey Young especially, you, you just cannot you cannot afford to have a full time center that is not a good defender. And Clint Capella is a good defender, so that checks that box for you. And he's fairly mobile as well. He's a good athlete. I think going to I think that's going to hold up for like you said before. Most of his contract, if not all of it. You know, he just helps you in a lot of ways. Is he going to, you know, completely change everything for your team? Maybe not, but he's a good player. He's a top, you know, 50-ish player in the league probably. If you look at some of the rankings that have been out there, those top 100 lists that everybody loves to fun over in the off seasons, he's usually a top 50, 60 guy on those lists. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like he's a very, very good basketball player. And the price was perfectly appropriate. Like I think this draft is like overblown in terms of how bad it is in the middle. The top is terrible. But that pick would have been a just a fairly normal mid mid first round pick, but giving up that on a team that already has a lot of young players and getting a cost controlled, you know, high end starter on your team, that's a, a good bet. And provided the heel injury checks out and he's healthy and plays, you know, he's not he's never been an eighty game guy. He's been you know a guy who plays mostly in the sixties and seventies, and that's fine if he's just plays sixty five seventy games for you at thirty minutes a night and plays very well. No one will be upset about that trade. Everything will be will be fine, and uh, he's your starting center. Um, you know, as soon as as soon as he's able, whether that if they play again this year, if that happens, I don't know if it's gonna if it's going to or, or not. But if he's if he's available, you play him. If not, you won't. And uh, hopefully, game one of twenty twenty dash twenty twenty one. I hate trying to say that word out loud, but uh, he'll be there. Number one game game one. Hopefully, Capella is there for you because that's why you traded for him, and he makes you a lot better. He's a good shot blocker, good rebound uh, rebounder. Two things that the Hawks really, really need. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the on-off numbers paint an, an interesting picture for him. You know, the the Rockets have always been kind of, or at least the last couple of years, have been like slightly better on defense with him on the floor. He's not like a, a game changer, turn you into a top five level of offense by himself type of guy. The one thing that is really interesting is they they take about the same opponents take about the same number of shots at the rim. Uh, when he was in Houston this year, when he was on the floor, but they took like way fewer threes when he was on the court. And I'm not exactly sure why that is because obviously he's not a, a perimeter defender. I'd be interested to know if, if any anyone has more intimate knowledge of the Houston Rockets than I do, why opponents took so many fewer threes with with Capella on the court than with him off. Yeah, that's actually um, backwards what, what you would think because exactly. normally yeah. they were playing, you know, basically five out with him off the court. And that, yeah, that's, that's very interesting to me. I, I didn't, I, I had no idea about that. That's, that's very strange. I, I wonder if it's just the perimeter guys were having that, you know, they had a directive to just run your guy off the line and force him to the rim, which if that's the case, that then I think a, yeah. even a marginal drop off in, in rim attempt frequency is pretty good. Like that's a pretty, I don't know if this is the case, but if it is, that that's a pretty, I think, strong piece of evidence in Capella's favor because that means he's he's having more opportunities. He, he's having more guys come at him as the as the rim defender, and if he's able to still deter those shots even at a higher volume, I think that that speaks well to his defensive capabilities. Again, I'm not sure if that is the case. It's just kind of a you know an assumption based on the numbers. I think you can make a case that he's actually a better offensive fit in Atlanta than he was in Houston. Because the Rockets kind of went away from that pick-and-roll style that, that he was so effective at last year, and really the year before that as well. And they were, they were seven points worse on offense with him on the floor per 100 possessions than with him off, uh, which is obviously not good. I think that number will look a lot different in Atlanta because they run a style that's more conducive to what he does well. You know, he's, the, the Hawks don't run the, the super isolation-heavy style that the Rockets did, which kind of rendered Capella expendable in many ways. And as part of the reason they traded for him and went into that super small ball 
um, type of, of, of lineup and type of rotation. I think Atlanta has, you know, there's more use for a, a big man like Capella, a role man who can get to the rim and put pressure on the rim without the ball than there was in those last couple of years in Houston when they just played such a, a drastic and novel offensive style. So I think you could see that number change when he comes to Atlanta. I think you could see the fit get a little bit more comfortable with a, a pick and roll passer like Trey Young, who who actually wants to to work out of the pick and roll and is and is super effective there. Whereas James Harden was effective, but you know it, he was more of, of an isolation guy and kind of eschewed the pick and roll by the end of of Capella's time in Houston. So I'm I'm really curious to see what that fit looks like and if he can be a little bit more effective of a weapon on that end of the floor. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, Trey is masterful in pick and roll. That's not breaking news to anybody, but he really is incredible at running it. And his passing will make Capella, I agree with you, may, may, may even have him look even better. I'm not sure he's going to, you know, necessarily average the 17 points that he averaged uh, in 2018-19. That might be his high watermark. Um, but still, like I think efficiency-wise, it's never been a problem. Like, this is a career, by the way. Again, I say career. 63% effective field goal percentage. Like that's ludicrous. Like, granted, it's because he only takes shots that he can make, and he doesn't doesn't shoot jumpers and all that stuff. But you still have to be really good to, to post that to post those numbers. Like he led the league in that in that category three years ago. He's really efficient as a finisher. He's a quality finisher around the rim. He, he's not like completely incapable of making a play. He's not a great passer by any means, but he's not going to be asked to do that. And especially if you're going to play, you know, four out around him which I think the Hawks are basically going to do, especially with Collins off the court, they're almost certainly going to do that. Um, you know, having him as a dive man just makes your offense better. And, you know, he just improves him on both ends of the floor. That's kind of what it comes down to. We could talk about, like, little nuances all, all the way around. But I guess one question I have about Capello that I want to see um, is defensively, I don't know, his pick and roll defense is going to be very important. Just because I think everyone knows that teams are going to attack Trey Young and pick and roll. And eventually, when the games start mattering more, um, we're going to see all kinds of ways for the Hawks to combat that. Um, we already have, but especially if it starts getting a little bit more uh, focused on that, you talk about a playoff series or whatever you want to say, um, repeated pick and roll defense. I think he's, I think he's, good, I think he's good at that, but um, there were times, and most of that might have been offensive, but there were times at the very, 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 very highest levels against the Warriors in particular that he got played off the floor. And that happens to most centers, but can he hold up as a, you know, in that kind of um, environment? Because if you're the Hawks and you're trading for this guy, you're hoping two years from now, especially, maybe not, maybe in this, this next year, but probably two years from now, you know, you're hoping to be making a, a legitimate charge in the Eastern Conference. And is that is, is he going to be able to play crunch time for you against the best of the best? That's always a question with almost every center, but it's a question that I'd like to see answered because he's, he's played in playoff games, obviously. But I think people might remember this, but when, when, when the chips were down, is PJ Tucker at center. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, pick and roll defense is especially important for the Hawks because they have such a weak point of attack defender at point guard. And, you know, he was pretty good. Capella was in that switching system yep. that Houston ran. And at least I think, especially like two, two years ago, maybe in that 2018 uh, playoff run, he was really good at, at containing the ball and switching out on the perimeter doing it time after time after time when they were just kind of going at him because he was the theoretically the least mobile defender on the floor for Houston. I'm not sure he's he's quite that agile anymore, but I'm also not sure that the Hawks want to run a switching system all that often. They kind of can't, if, honestly. Exactly. <laughs> if, if, the, if Trey is the one who's also involved in, in the 
pick and roll, then now he has a seven footer on him. And, and there are ways to work around that, you know, switching off the ball and scramming and all that kind of thing. But like, can you, can you repeatedly run a switching system if the two guys switching are Trey Young and Clint Capella? Like, I'm not sure that's the, the most ideal setup for your defense. And, and that could throw a lot of things out of whack. If you are switching off the ball, you get into more rotations and, and now your defense is kind of scrambling, scrambling a little bit more. Uh, whereas if you can keep, you know, just play it with two on the ball and a drop coverage or something like that, uh, then then you can contain it maybe a little bit more easily. I'm not sure that that, that is a good question uh, that, that you raise. I am curious to see that as well. And, you know, he's he's it, it's funny because because Houston switched so much, you know, that was kind of their thing. And, and after a while, they they really never did anything else on defense. So we haven't really seen Capella defend in a drop coverage yeah. or in a, a hard hedging or a trapping type of scheme in a really long time. Like it's just not something that's, that he's been asked to do. Yeah, that's probably why I'm asking because I think he can do it. I'm not worried necessarily, but you know, Houston has their own limitations in the fact that, you know, James Harden is a famously bad defender, but James Harden and they figured this out that it wasn't all Harden, but a lot of it was that if you switch, James Harden is a fire hydrant and he's strong as all get out, and he could switch and play post defense whereas he was terrible on the perimeter. With the Hawks, their their weakest defender is obviously Trey Young, but you can't switch with Trey Young. Like I mean you, I mean, you can the Hawks have tried, the Hawks have tried to do uh, you know, systems when they when they switched a lot and maybe even switched like everybody but Trey kind of alignments at times limitedly, but you know, in the end Trey is going to be playing, you know, 38 minutes a game for you in a playoff series. You have to be able to, you have to be able to figure out how to defend with him on the court, and that probably means, like you said, you know, drop coverage or something like that, or, or you know, hard hedges or a lot of creativity. But it's not going to be a whole lot of switching, I don't think. They're going to do it sometimes. We'll see. We'll see how they handle that. But uh, it'll be a change for Capella defensively. That's something I had circled in my head. If he got on the floor this year with the Hawks, we should just see what, how they did that. And it would have been a small sample size, regardless. And it still will be if he's if they restart the season and he ends up playing for the Hawks this year. But um, I think broadly heading into next year. You're gonna to want to, you know. I'm sure we'll be asking and we'll be paying attention in uh, preseason and all that stuff. Just kind of how they plan to use him defensively because it's a good, it's a good thing to have that kind of defender that actually can set your scheme. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, and and perhaps you know we we keep talking about how he's kind of this, he's divisive on defense. We don't really know how how impactful he is. Uh, I think there's a scenario in which he could become a decidedly positive, like you know, top ten level defensive center. In the NBA, I'm, I'm not sure. Like Lloyd Pierce had a reputation as a defensive coach coming into his tenure with the Hawks. Obviously, they have not had the defensive personnel to really augment that the last couple of years. But if you believe that reputation, and I'm not sure if I do, I really have no evidence to to support or you know uh, assail it. But if he if that is true, if that if that can you know make a big difference, maybe he's the kind of coach as, as a player development guy and with his staff. I, you know, I don't know how much different their player development staff is than the rest of the NBA, but you know, maybe he's Capella's a player that you can turn into a better defender. Maybe you can. We keep talking about how he's kind of a finished product. I think that's true on offense, but maybe he has some steps to take on defense, and maybe he does turn into that guy that you can build a scheme around that you can really trust, even with a really bad point of attack defender that you can that you can lean on to cover up some of those mistakes. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying it's even likely to happen, but I, I think there is a scenario in which it could happen. And maybe that's part of the allure for the Hawks. Maybe they saw something in him defensively that they feel like Houston wasn't exploiting and that they could get more out of him than, than the Rockets were. Uh, again, this is kind of just, just spitballing. Well, I yes, have no idea sure. yeah. if any of this is true. But, but it's, you know, if I'm an NBA front office, 
that's the kind of guy I think you could look at and say, maybe there's something else there that we can get into. Yeah, I, I agree. And in general, I think the the divide on Capel, at least what I've, you know, in the, you know, before this, I really didn't have a whole lot of reason to poke around a Capel other than I do my national stuff. But since the rumors and then eventually the trade heated up, I've tried to talk to as many people as I could about this. And, you know, there's the divide really is like he's either a pretty good defender or he's really, really, really good. And that depends on who you ask. So it's not like anybody thinks he's bad defensively. No, no one thinks that, and there, I mean, there's no evidence of that. I think he's a right. good defender. It's yeah. just how how much of an impact is he going to make? Like he definitely is a huge upgrade on what the Hawks had, so that already makes a huge upgrade. It's just how much of a game changer can he can he be as a defender? And we'll see. I mean, because again, part of that scheme, um, the scheme changes. Part of that's getting out of that system. Part of that's like you know, can you build everything around? Because everyone knows through the, through the lens of the Hawks, everyone knows what the weaknesses are on defense and can he paper over those a little bit? He's not, he's not Rudy Gobert. I don't think he, he's not someone who's going to make your defense on his own, but if he can be a really, really high impact defensive player, that would be a huge help for the Hawks. Like he's, it's already going to help if he's pretty good, but if he's even better than that, it would be significant. And if he's better than Dwayne Dedman, I think that puts you in an even better spot because like we said, Dedman is a pretty solid defender. So yep. again, if he's your backup, then now you have two really shape. solid options at, <laughs> at, a, at a defensive position that's that's really, really important as the Hawks learned uh, by not having anything there for this entire season. Yep, that sounds uh, about right. Well, uh, Ben, if you have any final thoughts on any of these players, feel free to deliver them. But uh, otherwise, I can let you get out of here after almost an hour. I, I would just say with Capella, I think just to reiterate kind of what I, I touched on earlier, I think I think the context change could be really interesting for him because you know, when Houston shifted to that five out system, he just became expendable. Like he had no place to stand on the floor. And because he wasn't involved, like the, the whole point of Capella is that when he's rolling down the lane, you have to account for him. You have to bring a help defender over. If he's not involved then he just, he's kind of just taking up space and clogging the lane. I think just, just by having him a part more, a part of the offense in Atlanta, I think could really help him and help the team to a degree that it, it didn't the last couple of years in Houston as they went toward a different style. So I'm really curious just to see how much, you know, having him as a primary option in the main action of your offense impacts his own impact and the impact that he has on the rest of the offense. I think that could be really fascinating. And then again, the the defensive concerns. Uh, I wonder how all of this affects Bruno Fernando, which we'll we'll talk about in the next episode. Yes, uh, but we've we've kind of been discussing. Okay, you know, if Collins gets this many minutes and Deadman plays this. And Capella plays this, then you're at 48. Where does that leave Bruno? You know, if if you feel like he could be a part of your future, do you have any minutes for him? Is he playing the season in the G League? Do you create room for him in the rotation? How does that affect what you do with Labissier? Like, I think that's a a question to ask too. Like you said, you you want to have enough bodies at center, but you could also run the risk of just having too many, and and now you have guys that you want to get on the floor, but you can't really. You know, that that's not a terrible problem to have, but I I could see. Bruno is kind of just a, you know, a, a, a bystander in the situation who gets affected by just a change in circumstance around him. Yeah, as you alluded to, we will talk about Bruno on the next episode. But uh, spoiler alert: I think if everyone is healthy, Bruno has a hard time getting on the floor next year. Um, yeah, that, you know, the good thing if you're Bruno, the good thing about that is that Dwayne, Dwayne Dedman is probably is not going to be on the team the following season. He's only under contract for one for one, one more year and has a very small guarantee for the following year that probably won't get picked up. So you're still a long-term play. Bruno is cheap, and um, 
under contract for three for I guess two more seasons after this one. So, you know, it's not over for Bruno by any means. But I think if you're looking at you know realistically trying to win games next year, um, he probably isn't going to be a rotation member every every night. So, unfortunate in some ways, but that's kind of the way things happen. So, we'll talk about him next time, uh, as as Ben alluded to. Uh, one more one more plug here, Ben. We do have five of these. This is number one. There are four more to come. The next one will be the rest of the bigs. Then we will go to uh, a two-port wing episode, and then we'll we'll finish up on the point guards. With uh, we'll save Trey Young, Young for the end. But thank you as always for doing this, uh, and especially for this particular series. It's uh, you investing five hours of your life in this. But uh, what do you have going on? I know you're. I know we're all sort of in limbo right now. But are you writing anything over at uh, SI or anything like that? I'm trying. Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of this this last week kind of figuring out what I want to actually do. Um, so. Yeah, I, I released a, a feature on John Collins, what feels like two weeks ago, but I think was actually yesterday. I was going to say, I think it was um, maybe two days ago. I was going to say, I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I felt like it was a long time ago, but it wasn't. Yeah, so so you can read that if you want to. Hopefully, I'll have more of those uh, coming out. We'll see how much how much time I have between you know updates on the, the whole coronavirus situation and, and kind of the, the daily you know churn o- over there and, and kind of the daily duties. So if I have, if I have time, I'll, obviously, I'll have some, some season wrap writing uh ready to go as well look at some some takeaways from this past season questions moving into next season um do kind of a a player review series kind of like what this podcast is intended to be um but in a in a written form so if you're interested in that that should be up in the next couple weeks or so and um yeah as news breaks whether it really at this point whether it pertains to the hawks or not uh you can you can find it over there at si.com slash nba slash hawks and uh, as soon as something big happens with the Hawks, hopefully uh, it could be the return of the season. But <laughs> that that feels like it's it's way off in the future at this point. So uh, until then, yeah, that's that's where you can kind of find everything I'm doing. Follow Ben. I uh, I've tried to uh, tell people to to do that, but people, please do it. Please do it now. Ben needs more followers. I was appalled when I saw how many followers Ben had. That's crazy. Follow I've, I've eclipsed a thousand, Brad. Follow I'm Ben getting, on Twitter. It's absurd. There. Absolutely absurd. People, if you follow me, you should be following Ben. Um, and if, if anything, Ben is smarter than I am. So go ahead and do that. Uh, thank you, sir, for joining me. And we will do this again. I'm not sure exactly when, but it'll be fairly soon. We'll get into part two of our part five, sorry, of our, of our five part series. So uh, thanks for joining me, man. Of course, this was fun. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend, leave five star feedback, and we'll see everybody next time. <laughs>